All right, well, hey, um, Philippians 2, uh, 19 through 30 is where we will be today. We have looked at the book of Jude, and one of the things that Jude talked about is in regards to contend for the faith, the first thing we have to do is remember the call. Remember how much God has loved us, uh, because if we don't, then we won't be able to fight for the faith, fight for our hearts, and fight for others. And one of the things that we looked at yesterday specifically in regards to fighting for our heart is one of the ways in which we are built up, in a sense, that building that is built so that we can withstand all the different seasons, and especially some of those strong storms, is prayer. And we talked about a gospel prayer. We said a gospel prayer begins with a grateful heart. And then we said then it, bro- then it prays for a growing confidence. And third, that gospel prayer, it prays for fruit to bear in our lives and in the lives around us. And then it prays that our affections for God would always outpace our affections for the world. And then fifth, it prays that we would walk in a worthy manner. And then sixth, we pray for a joy that leads to endurance. And then that we would remove pride. And then that last thing we said, a gospel prayer rejoices that God is making all things new. Um, A little bit about the book of Philippians. This was written by Paul to the church of Philippi. His purpose in writing this book was to encourage the church to be progressing in their faith. He wanted to be clear that a true salvation doesn't lead to a stagnant life. Um, The hope is that right now, whatever grades you're in, 6th, 7th, 8th grade, that you know more now than you did in 1st grade, that you have progressed. That's the idea. If my wife grew up playing the piano. When she first started playing the piano, it would be for about an hour a day. By her senior year of high school, she would be playing for four to five hours a day. Do you think she was better when she was in first grade or her senior year? Senior year. She's an incredible pianist. Uh, went to the University of Texas, piano performance major, and then said, hey, I want to be a nurse. Um, so but still plays the piano a lot. Um, and then the idea, if any of you guys play sports, the idea is that, hopefully... Each year you're getting better, not worse. And one of the things in the Christian life, it's it's a similar thing is that we're not stagnant. We're not staying in the same place. And that's one of the things that Paul is talking about here. And he's emphasizing just the importance of the Word of God. And one of the things that I love about the Word of God is for some of you in this room, y'all are there right now. You're that 13, 14-year-old boy who is now all of a sudden girl crazy, voice cracking. The Word of God can move within your heart and that same word of God that moves in your heart is going to move in the 48 year old woman with three kids and a husband who acts like a kid and then it will also move in the heart of the young dad who has two kids and is wondering where his youth went and one of the things for me that was a living example of this two weeks ago the senior minister and I we stayed outside the doors people leave the church and we have a lady in our church she's 78 years old and she's walking out in tears she goes I love the way the word of God is preached in this church and at 78 we're thinking hey she's learned all she can learn The Word of God at 78 years old is still moving her heart. And so that's why I love the Word of God is that we go on your end of the spectrum to her end of the spectrum, and that same Word is changing those hearts. And one of the other things that's important to note about this passage is we get three individuals in it. We get Paul, we get Timothy, we get Epaphroditus. So you get repetition of different individuals to show what the Christian life looks like. And one of the things that you've probably picked up on in life is repetition is telling you that something's important. 
in school, if the teacher says something three or four times, what is that telling you? It's going to be on the test. It's important. It's important. It's probably going to be on the test. I should know this. I should make note of this. And then in real estate, there's this saying called location, location, location. To emphasize the most important thing in real estate is location because, hey, sorry, Mississippi, but is a house that's right here on the beach or in the middle of Mississippi more valuable? The beach. And it's telling you location, location, location. And here we have these three individuals and they're giving us pictures of what the Christian life looks like from different perspectives. So for us, it's taking note of that. And then the other thing that this passage is doing for us is there's this thing that can grow in all of us quite easily, entitlement. It's this thinking that we deserve everything. But the maturing Christian, entitlement should be eroding in our lives because we realize we don't deserve anything. And in fact, we've been given far more than we actually deserve. So before we read this passage, let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the beauty of your word. And we do thank you that through it, Lord God, that you change all types of people, all ages of people. And Lord, we pray this morning that you would be at work upon our hearts, that we would see your word, that it would show the sin that is there, the grace that is there to meet it. And Lord, that it would cause us to grow. Lord God, get all of the glory in Jesus' name. Amen. Hear the word of God, Philippians 2, verse 19. Now I hope in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you soon so that I also may be encouraged when I hear news about you. For I have no one else like-minded who will genuinely care about your interest. All seek their own interest, not those of Jesus Christ. But you know his proven character, because he has served with me in the gospel ministry like a son with a father. Therefore, I hope to send him as soon as I see how things go with me. I'm convinced in the Lord that I myself will also come quickly. But I considered it necessary to send you Epaphroditus, my brother, co-worker, and fellow soldier, as well as your messenger and minister to my need, since he has been longing for all of you and was distressed because you heard that he was sick. Indeed, he was so sick that he nearly died. However, God had mercy on him, and not only on him, but also on me, so that I would not have one grief on top of another. For this reason... I am very eager to send him so that you may rejoice when you see him again, and I may be less anxious. Therefore, welcome him in the Lord with all joy, and hold men like him in honor, because he came close to death for the work of Christ, risking his life to make up what was lacking in your ministry to me. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God endures forever. Well, the first thing that we see in verse 19 is that a maturing faith knows that it's God who determines their steps. Paul says this in verse 19, I hope in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you soon so that I may be cheered by news of you. Um, I can remember a saying that my grandfather would say when I was a kid before we would leave their house. He would say, Lord willing, and the creeks don't rise, we'll see you tomorrow. And that was kind of silly, but within it, there is a little bit of theological weight in it because he knew as much as he wanted to see us the next day, that ultimately it was in the Lord's hands whether we would see each other the next day. And Paul here where he says, I hope in the Lord. Paul wants to send Timothy to the church at Philippi. He knows it will benefit the church at Philippi. 
but he only knows that Timothy's going to make it there if the Lord wills. And this proverb says, many are the plans of a man's heart, but it's the Lord's that prevails. That has been, for me, a verse that has been constant. Uh, is it a good thing to plan? Some of you are going to say, no, I should never plan. Uh, planning is a good thing, and we should plan. But sometimes what happens as we plan, we become so fixed on that plan that we don't let the Lord work. Um, and so for me, there's been a lot of plans that I've had that have gone through and have been good. But a lot of times, the Lord has ended up taking me another direction I didn't see coming. But it has been the best thing that has happened for me. So that's why it is remembering that Proverbs. Many are the plans of a man's heart, but it's the Lord's that prevails. And what Paul is showing us here is Paul's not just trusting in his craftiness, his persuasive speech, his good planning to get Timothy there. He knows the ultimate way that Timothy is going to make it is by the hand of God. And we need to realize that for us, our tendency is going to be to trust our own instincts or just assume everything's going to be okay. Most of us, we just assumed we were going to make it down here to Florida RYM and back with safety. We play sports and assume we'll never get hurt. We go to school, assume we'll get the needed grade. We look under the tree at Christmas and we expect that there's always going to be presents there. We go to school with the same friends and we expect that it's always going to be that way. One day we expect that we're going to get into the college of our choice. And then one day we expect we're going to go on a date and eventually get married. And that we're going to have a job somewhere. It's great to plan for these things. But we need to make sure that we leave them in the Lord's hands and not just what we think is our good gene pool, our good looks, our intellect. But we need to see all of life is dependent upon the God who created it. And so as Christians, this truth needs to ring through, ring through our heads. In Philippians 2, 12-13, a few verses earlier, says this, So then, my dear friends, just as you have always obeyed, not only in my presence, but now even more in my absence, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who is working in you, enabling you both to desire and to work for his good purpose. As we said yesterday, the Christian doesn't walk with a swagger. The Christian should never be one that boasts in what they have done. Paul, again, reminded us in Ephesians 2 that it's a gift of God, the salvation that we have. So that simple phrase Paul uses here, I hope in the Lord, at the beginning is that reminder that the Christian, for them our hope is not tied to our desire or to our efforts. It is God who works. It is God who wills according to his good pleasure. The second thing that we see in this passage, and we see it from the lives of Paul, from Timothy, and Epaphroditus in here, is a maturing Christian. They consider Christ more valuable than their own life. Um, we live in a world, I mentioned this, mentioned this word a minute ago, where narcissism is on the rise. Have any of y'all heard that word before, narcissism? Um, I want to give you the, dex, the, the, dictionary, the dictionary definitions of this because they do just such a great job of capturing what it is. It says, an inordinate fascination with oneself. Excessive self-love. Vanity. It goes on to say, gratification derived from admiration of one's physical or mental attributes. Um, I don't think any of us would say, hey, that's me. That, 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 that's, that's who I want to be. But one of the things is, our actions say that far too often narcissism is what would describe us. And this excessive love for self 
it's polluting so much of the Christian community and into the church. Um, this infatuation with seeking what's best for me, um, it's kept many within the church from living that Christ-centered life because we consider our agenda, our likes, our preferences, our hopes, our dreams as more important than Christ. We wouldn't say that, but that's how we live. And I don't think we live in the most sinful era or the most sinful generation that's ever lived. That would not be my stance. Some would say that. But I would say that there are ways in which things are more unique. There's ways in which sin grows. And I would say we probably are the most narcissistic generation that's ever lived. And can you think of some of the things in the worlds in which we live that make us more narcissistic than maybe some other generations? Can y'all think of anything? I guess like news technologies. Yeah, technology. I mean, you think about it. We can have so many things immediately. I can say, Siri, find this. Siri, what is this? I can go to the microwave and make a meal. Even as I was running this morning, the back of a 18-wheeler said, got a minute, make a milkshake. Um, I mean, we can have things so fast, so quick in the time in which we live. And so it makes us think, oh, I can just have whatever I want when I want it. What are other ways in which the world around us makes us a little bit more narcissistic? Social media is an easy one. Yeah, I mean, you think about social media, because on social media, are people mainly putting all their failures and their worst pictures on social media? No, most of the time, it's almost Photoshop versions of ourselves in the best locations, in the best moments, or we have mostly guys in this room. Ladies, this is how sick and twisted guys are. We'll put other videos on there of when we like absolutely embarrass ourselves or we do something stupid just because we want people to watch it. Um, and so there's two different ways in which we go for attention, likes, approvals. But one of the things that social media does kind of serve like, there's this thing called public relations. Schools hire PR firms, um, professional teams, businesses. In a sense, what they're trying to do is, how can I make this individual, how can I make this team, how can I make this organization look best? And social media serves like our own PR firm. Here's how I can put out the best version of myself. And if you even think about it, what type of picture do most of us take? What's it called? Selfie. Selfie. A selfie. I mean, you got that picture is called a selfie. Um, and then another question for you: Do any of y'all still go to like the grocery store with your parents? Yeah. Yeah. If you're checking out, you see the magazines. If you notice what some of them say, they'll say how to be the perfect boyfriend, how to lose 15 pounds, how to get a six pack in two weeks, how to build the house of your dreams. How to, and it's all about me, 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 me. And then the only ones I see is just like things like celebrities. The celebrities and aliens landing on the moon. You see those too. That's pretty much the only ones I see. Those are the only ones you see. I saw one about conspiracy about how Queen of England is actually not real. (laughs) (laughs) You'll get a lot of false things. And one of the things along those lines, advertisements. How many ads do you think we see or hear in a day? This number was just staggering. What? 300, 400, 60. Higher. 1,000. Higher. 2,000. Between 3 to 5,000 is what they say is the average person sees or hears between 
three to 5,000 ads a day. And at first I was like, no, 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 no. But it's like, as I'm driving down the road, billboard after billboard, as I'm driving down the road, I may be listening to the radio where there's ads, or I'm listening to a podcast where there's even ads on that podcast. I watch TV, there's ads on that. You scroll through social media, there's ads. You get on the internet, there's ads there. We watch TV, there's ads. We are bombarded with all these different messages all the time. And one of these, it's funny, is you even have restaurants, like a fast food chain. Burger King, what's their slogan? Have it your way. I mean, have it all about the individual. Have it your way. Outback Steakhouse, no rules, just right. It's all about you. Or if you drive this car, then more people will think highly of you. You wear this, then you'll be in a different status. And what was funny for me, when I went to college, I went to visit TCU, the slogan, TCU, it's about you. That is the absolute worst thing a college student ever needs to hear. What's Walmart's slogan? Made in China. Made in China. That's pretty funny. Um, you know, is you have you have with that TCU, and while I was there, there'd be things saying it's about you because in college, that's typically where we hit the pinnacle of our narcissistic years, where we are just so in love with ourselves, and so we have to fight against that. Just TCU Christian college. TCU. It has the word. What's funny about TCU is you'll hear them referred to as TCU and not as Texas Christian because they want to de-emphasize that Christian part. How about the pressure we get to make ourselves noticed and be the best in academics or sports so that we can reach that next level? Absolutely. It's just like we have to be the best. We can't just be middle of the road. You know, it's like you can't be, a, you know, it's like there's a level which you can't be an A-B student. Well, kind of like we were talking about yesterday is because of Jesus, it doesn't mean we shoot to fail. But it's okay if we're not the smartest person in the class. It's okay if we're not the greatest athlete, if we're not the greatest musician, if we're not the best looking, whatever it may be. Dude, man, you steal, you steal, you steal my thunder right there. We're, that, that one, let's see. We're gonna come back to that one in probably about five to seven months. Cause that, that right there. Whoo, hello. That's a big. That, that's a big one. Um, but. And one of the funny things that happens is that as we love ourselves more and as we love Christ less, is our condition actually gets worse instead of better. The, wor- the world tells us love ourselves more and then we'll be happier, but we actually get worse. And the reason that we do is because sin by nature separates. Sin separates us from God and then it separates us from the relationships around us. And one of the things that's funny is I heard a pastor years ago say this. Y'all probably heard this too. Is we spend lots of money, we spend lots of time to try and impress people that we really don't like. Um, is you think about that, is it when we do that, it actually, instead of making that relationship foster, it actually makes things worse. And so we really don't have those true friendships and those true relationships that we'll talk a little bit more about in a minute. And so that's why it's so important for the Christian to die to self because it's in this dying to self that we actually begin to grow. And then we're actually going to talk here. It talks in this passage about dying, um, that Epaphroditus was almost at the point of death. Um, and one of the things that's going to be true for most of us is most of us in 21st century America, we will not physically die because we are a Christian. We will probably not become physically ill because we are a Christian because of advances in medicine. But to be a Christian in the 21st century... Does it cost us anything? Yeah. Yeah. It does cost us. 
In what ways might it cost us? If you live in California, you do live in other parts of the world, there's going to be hostility towards Christianity. But even in the Bible Belt of the South, there's still going to be ways in which it costs us. What are some ways in which it might cost us? Our time. To cost our time. Our time is a big one. I'm going to come, we'll come back to that in a minute, too. If you're like public school, there's certain people that have other religions and they don't want to like talk to you or whatever. It's just not the same religion as Absolutely. Sometimes because you don't have the same religion. And sometimes what will happen, too, is because they know that you love Jesus, is they'll know that, hey, I can't ask them to do this. So it excludes you from doing something with a group of people. Um, back here. Popularity. Popularity. You might not be the most popular person because you love Jesus. Because it may mean you're not going to be do certain things that are wrong. Uh, it's one of the ways which you typically move up the food chain, this is for guys, um, is when you talk in a perverse manner about other girls, when you use profanity, when you look at things that you shouldn't look at. And if you say, hey, that's not going to happen, because I can... I mean, I remember for me, this happened when I was in college. We were traveling, uh, we were traveling to LSU for a track meet. And as we were traveling there, you had guys, this was before smartphones, as we learned today, that the iPhone was not invented in 1998. They were passing around a magazine that had pictures of things that I never needed to see. And I was like, nope. And they laughed at me. And you have college guys just laughing, like, what are you talking about? Why wouldn't you look at that? What are you talking about? And then later... A few years later, I played on Tuesday nights. I played in a golf scramble, like a little golf tournament in the evening with a buddy. And he found out that both of us were engaged. And then they found out that, hey, that we weren't going to have sex with our wives until we were married. He fell down on the tee box laughing at us because of that. And the thing is, is you know, there's going to be people who are not going to understand what we're doing at times because we love Jesus. So socially, it's going to cost you from time to time because we love and value Jesus. And there was this thing when I lived in Mississippi um, called The Grove. With The Grove is Ole Miss may not ever have a good football team again, but The Grove is a great place. But this great place, one of these I noticed with our congregation is football games within Friday night, high school football games, the whole weekend was spent in Oxford. And so that was six or seven Sundays that students and families weren't in church because socially it was more enjoyable to be in Oxford. And the Grove is fantastic. But one of the ways to make cautious, hey, we're going to go to the game, but we're coming back. And we're going to be with our church community on Sunday. And where I live now, that the other school down the road, Tuscaloosa, is only 45 minutes away, so people just drive for the day. But we're only four hours from the beach. Either direction, there's great lakes just a little bit an hour away. So our, one of the challenges for our congregation is we're either at the beach or the lake, and we're there Friday to Sunday, and we're missing church. And then one of the things that was mentioned a moment ago, sports, is one of the things that y'all probably picked up on. I love sports. Um, but sports have taken up a place within our culture that is, that is not healthy. Um, and there are so many folks that travel on different teams all the time, and it's causing them to miss church. And one of the things when I was in Jackson, Mississippi, and it's still true in Alabama, is the eight years I was in Jackson, we had about 500 guys that played football for the same school. Um, and this school would win the state championship in the private school just about every year. How many of those guys do you think on, went, went on to play Division One football? Two. No. One. And he was a walk-on. Um, and so, one out of 500 over eight years. But you know what their coach would say? Is it wouldn't be like, you're not required to be at practice in the summer, but 
But if you are, then you have a better chance of getting playing time, getting better equipment. And what it led to is we would have students that used to go on mission trips that would no longer go on mission trips. We'd have students that would no longer come to RYM because they felt like they had to be at practice. They're getting in trouble for that? Well, one of the things that we do is, is in God we trust is a good thing to have on the license plate, but we need to be more focused on, hey, as Christians, are we living lives that are attractive to the community around us? Do our lives reflect that we actually do in God we trust? Um, and so sports are a great thing, but far too often they become an ultimate thing. And another little sad statistic, high school basketball, how many people in the United States, guys, do you think play high school basketball? 500,000 guys play basketball, high school basketball. How many Division I scholarships? Not Division II, three, but Division I scholarships do you think there are? One. Okay, 1,000. No, come on. There's 4,500. There's 4,500 scholarships. So we go from 500,000 to 4,500 Division I scholarships. That doesn't even mean you're going to get playing time, but it's at least a scholarship. And then last week, how many people were drafted into the NBA? One. 60. So the thing is, is, at the end of the day, one of the things with coaches, not all, but most, if you're really good enough and you're everywhere else, you're devoted to the team, but you're going to go on that family trip, you're going to go and um, serve on that mission trip, coaches at the end of the day, do they play the best players? Yes. Because they want to win. Uh, because for far too many of them, their identity is wrapped up in that win-loss record. Um, and so one of the things is, and even if, say, you do make it and you're one, of the, you're one of the rare ones to become a professional athlete, how many professional athletes are still playing at 50, at 60? Most of those careers are over by 30. And so it's one of the things, love sports. Sports can be a very good thing. But if sports are keeping us from loving the Lord, then it's taken up an unhealthy place in us. Because a mature Christian, we need to love the church. We need to be in the church, and the church needs to be helping shape our lives. And so a maturing Christian will endure the cost, even if it means it may cost me socially. It may mean me giving more of my time. It may mean me not being at every sporting event or being on every travel team that's offered because I know that Jesus is worth it. And the third thing for a maturing Christian, and we see this in the relationships of Paul, Timothy, and Epaphroditus is we have a genuine love for others. Um, it's a unique community when we actually love one another. And it's rare to find that Christian community where loving one another has become so natural. Um, but that Christ-centered Christian, they understand that it is God who determines their steps. And when they start to love Jesus more than themselves, it becomes a group of people who begin to love one another more than themselves. And that's a key ingredient to a healthy, vibrant church. It's a key ingredient in a healthy, vibrant youth ministry. Um, so a few things that kind of lead to an attractive community. Are we willing to cheer others along? Um, when we love Jesus more than ourselves, it allows us to enjoy relationships as they were intended. People are no longer becoming a means. And what I mean by that is over the years have had guy students who have become friends with another guy because they think his sister's cute. I've had other people who have become friends 
with folks because they know that person has a beach house and maybe they'll invite me there or they have a lake house, maybe they'll invite me there. Or if I become friends with them, they're a really good athlete, maybe the coach will start to notice me. Is we know that we're maturing in Christ when we don't see people as a means. We don't see them as just a way to get something. And the thing here we see, Paul is excited that Timothy and Epaphroditus are able to be used in the church at Philippi. Are we excited that God has equipped other men and women with different gifts than us? Can we rejoice when our friend makes the team and we don't? Can we rejoice when they get a better grade than we do? Can we rejoice that God has given them musical talents, gifts, and abilities that we can never dream of, but they can use those to reflect the God who created them? When we're able to rejoice in other people's gifts, it's a sign that we're beginning to love others more than ourselves. And one of the things that I love about Paul here, we don't see any signs of competitiveness. He doesn't say, okay, hey, I'm, uh, I'm in prison. Um, I won't be able to be with you. So what I'm going to do, I'm going to send you the B team. In fact, they might even be the C team. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to send them to you. Or, you know, the only reason I'm not there is because, hey, I'm in prison because I'm laboring for you. Paul could have taken every opportunity to boast about himself. But he doesn't. He boasts about what God has done in the lives of these two. And we need to be careful that our competitive spirits um, don't get us at times because it will tear others down as we look to prop ourselves up. And it keeps us from enjoying the gifts that God has given other people. Um, And one of the reasons I had a pastor in Jackson who told me this, that one of the greatest gifts that he was given was when the previous senior minister spoke highly of him to other people in public settings, but also in private settings. Because it can be very easy for a minister to say, yeah, this guy's good, but he's not as good as me. Um, and that's the thing. Ministers are not even exempt from that. And so we've got to be willing to see others. So the maturing Christian, we're able to rejoice in the gifts God's given others. The other thing that we see from this passage is the importance of the presence of others. Paul knows a simple truth that the presence of certain people is going to bring great encouragement. It's not hero worship, but these are men and women who, by the grace of God, he uses to shape our lives. There's many instances in my life that I can remember the presence of fellow Christians was so important. But there's two that stand out. Um, For me, it was a time 13 years ago. Um, It was the night my sister's fiancé died. And the night before his funeral, um, our senior pastor from Lubbock, Rob Bailey, was living in Decatur, uh, Alabama at the time, drove over. Um, drove over to Jackson, Mississippi. Can remember Hilton Garden Inn, him coming through those doors and just hugging each other and crying. And then we go down to Chili's. I don't remember much of what we talked about, but what do I remember? He was there. And then probably five or six years later, I was working at First Pres in Jackson. We had a minister on staff who had an affair with someone else on staff. And you can imagine what that did in the life of the church. And we had a senior, or we had a minister who had been on staff, Derek Thomas, who moved to Columbia, South Carolina, in the midst of his busy schedule, gets on a plane, spends the week with our congregation, with our staff. I can remember a little bit more of what we talked about. But again, what do I remember more? He was there. Some of the best advice I received from one of my buddies is he said, 
crawl to weddings, run to funerals. And what he was emphasizing is most of the time you go to a wedding, people, they might remember if you were there. But when you go to those moments in people's lives, whether it be a funeral, whether it be someone at the hospital, someone who's struggling with something, they remember when you were there. Because the thing is, in ministry life, when I've gone to the hospital, when I've gone um, to the funeral, is the impact is huge. And I look at my own life, I remember some of the people who were at my wedding. I don't remember everybody who was there. But in those moments that were tough, I remember who was there. And so the presence of other people is so important. It's important to be thankful for that, but then also we get to play that role in others' lives. And then a genuine love for others, it also means enjoying the sweetness of fellowship with fellow saints. I love RYM for a lot of reasons, but one of the reasons I love it is when I come down here, not only do I get to spend time with a bunch of students, but I get to see some familiar faces from over the years. That I get to have conversations with folks that I don't usually get to have conversations with. Last week, one of my best buddies in the world is in St. Louis now. When I was in Colorado, we got to, for two hours, talk about life. We got to pray together. Um, and it's huge. And so one of the things is, is do you have those individuals in your life where you can share things with, where you can be honest with? Um, this is not sharing care with everybody, but we need those individuals where we can say, hey, I'm struggling with, and they're not going to go, get away from me. Um, because the thing is, I would also encourage you, if you don't have those friends, I would encourage you to, being in this position, your youth leaders, go to them. They're not going to be freaked out when you say, hey, will you pray for this? I'm struggling with this. Um, Go to them. Talk to them. They are going to be praying for you. So don't be afraid. And then the other thing in the Christian life, there's goodbyes. And goodbyes are going to be difficult, but goodbyes can be a very good thing. And one of the good things about that is you have here, you see Paul is sending Timothy. And, you know, you've seen this father-son like relationship on display, even said so in this passage. And as tough as it is for Paul to send, it's a tearful goodbye because he knows the Lord is going to use Timothy in great ways. And for me, over the years of my Christian life, as I shared with you all yesterday, I had a great high school experience. A lot of teachers, coaches, and friends who loved the Lord. And then college, when I stepped onto college, I didn't know anybody. But then the Lord started to provide others. So I had to say goodbye to some folks in high school. And then in college, there were folks I had to say goodbye to. And then since then have been in seminary, worked in Jackson, Mississippi. And sometimes it's been me leaving. And sometimes it's been other people leaving. And it's these tearful goodbyes because we enjoyed a season of life together. And then now we're seeing where the Lord works. And it's another thing I love about RYM is as we come together for a week, then we go back to the different places and the different parts of the country where God has us. And we have the opportunity to be used by God in those places so that communities where we actually love one another and we love those outside of us more than we love ourselves, and we begin to see God do a great work where we are all across this country, and that has ripple effects far beyond what we can imagine. So for us, let us pray the churches we go back home to become that unique and Christ-centered community that loves exceedingly well because we've been loved more than we can ever imagine. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this week. Well, we thank you for RYM. We thank you for the men and women that help make it happen. And Lord God, we thank you that through your word, you instruct us, you grow us, you teach us. 
And Father, I pray with those that don't know you in this room, Lord God, that your grace would capture them. Lord, for those that do know you, Lord, that you would continue to mature us in the faith. Lord God, that we would, that we would love you more than we love ourselves, Lord, so that we have a genuine love for others. And I pray, Lord God, for the different churches, the different communities, the different schools represented here at RYM, that we would be places, Lord, where we love well because we are loved by you. Do a great work that when we gather again in another year that more have come to know you than know you now. Lord God, we love you. In Jesus' name, amen.